Good morning, Andrew. How are you doing today? Good morning, Arrow. I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. First of all, uh, I, I didn't really understand the journey of food until until the lockdown, and I started using my own kitchen instead of borrowing everybody else's habits and, 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 and desires to bring food to life. This book really opens up my eyes to start studying the path, understanding the path, and then delivering it. Uh, thank you very much for that. Um, uh, that was very much the intention of the book. Uh, and... Uh, uh, I, you know, the promise of the book, it's not written anywhere in the book or on the flap copy, but the promise of the book to me uh, is that if you read this book, you will never look at a restaurant meal yeah. the same way again, both both logistically, um, but also, uh, you know, I profile uh, in great detail the way and the way that we're used to only seeing the star, you know, the chef or the owner profiled. Uh, all of the different workers who make it possible for you to enjoy a restaurant meal. My Beatles moment with food was actually on the Pacific Coast Highway when you when you broke free of the ocean and you went into the land of California and all of a sudden there was all that food that was headed to my grocery store. That changed my life. That's so interesting to hear you say that. Yeah, I mean, you know, you go to a restaurant, uh, you you order from a server, um, even if there's an open kitchen, usually what's going on is out of sight or below the, the pass or the counter where the chef is standing. Uh, but you know, you order a dish and then 20 minutes later, this thing shows up on a plate. Um, uh, but if you, you know, if you rewind and follow it out of the restaurant, back onto the multiple delivery trucks that brought it there, uh, out to the farms and fields and, and bodies of water, to your point, um, from which this food comes, uh, it, it is a mind-boggling uh, web of people and effort uh, that come together for even the most elemental dish. I, the dish at the center of this book um, is a very simple dish. You know, it's a it's a strip loin <laughs> with uh, a red wine reduction and half of a, a brandy wine tomato and some sorrel. That is the dish. And when I tell people about the book. You know that I that I spend the book just just dissecting a dish and all the people who make it happen. The most frequent first question I get is, right? And I say just what I say. You know, and I say just one dish, and and people are like, "Wait, you wrote a whole book about one dish?" Mm-hmm. And and once they read it, they get it. I mean, this book could have easily been a hundred pages longer. Um, but, you know, there would have been some redundancies that came into play, and I, I didn't want people to start. Isn't the book, the dish, is it, it, there's almost a mystery to it, and you're sitting there reading it, and you're going, oh, my God, where's he going to go? How, how's he going to take this? How are we going to get to where we need to go? Thank you for that. Yeah, well, uh, it, and I think that's in two ways. Uh, one is, uh, uh, as I say, I, the main purpose of the book and the judgment, uh, workers and, and in the restaurant, that's everybody from the dishwasher to the cooks to the chefs to the server. And then beyond the restaurant, it's it's the farm farmers, it's the field workers, mm-hmm. it's the delivery truck drivers. Um, but uh, you know, we do follow uh, within the restaurant uh, the the chain of events that leads to a dish making it to your plate. We follow that in great detail. And each one of those is a chance for human error or something to go wrong or to become overwhelmed. Uh, But then in the field, all kinds of things can go wrong. You know, there's a moment uh, that seems very small where the truck driver that I spend a day with realizes he's short one box of corn. All of a sudden takes up, you know, 10, 15 minutes of his time as he he calls the farm to let them know. And then he finds uh, where 
someone else from the farm is running uh, the I, um, a farmer's market stand for them that day and he arranges to come to a hand you know a handoff and he he takes one of their boxes and then it and then that changes the sequence of his deliveries for the day um, it, it is a constant improvisation uh, to just deal with all and none of this by the way speaks to incompetence or carelessness uh, there's an awful lot going on there's a lot of moving parts and that creates a need for people to be incredibly uh, calm under pressure and very nimble in the moment. Did anybody along the way ever look at you and say, are you from Undercover Boss? Because you're asking me questions that that, that is going to help someone in, in the future and only an Undercover Boss would ask these questions. Oh, gosh. Uh, no. Uh, uh, no. Everybody. I have to say, everybody was pretty open. Um, I do speak to two people in the book who have uh, immigrant stories. Wow. And uh, whenever I've done that in the past, been a slight hesitancy uh, because that is such a, uh, a, high, um, a sensitive topic, uh, especially, uh, you know, in the last several years in this country. Um, and I do think, uh, and these not, none, none of these people uh, spoke English. Well, one spoke it, just not super fluently. And the other one, I had to use a translator. Um, I also am lucky in that I grew up in Miami, Florida with a Cuban stepmother. So mm. I, I speak I speak a little Spanish. Um, but, you know, that, the, you know, just explaining I'm writing a book, um, I'm profiling all these people. Uh, I want to interview you. I'm going to ask you about uh, and these are both documented workers now, but I'm going to ask you about how you got to this country and all that. You know, you could see that there was a little bit of a. A hesitancy. I don't know that I would call it a suspicion because I was there with the blessing of their employers. Um, but um, there was definitely a little bit of hesitancy and mm -hmm. a little vibe. But uh, but that that dissolved pretty quickly. But you know what's really interesting about this is that you're you're showcasing the real stars of the plate because how how many people actually go out there and talk to real people who are getting their hands as dirty as as humanly possible? You know, doing what they do in the fields, and you've got their story. You're documenting a piece of Americana. I really appreciate that. I mean, that was really. It wasn't until I'd already done all the interviews that I'd even decided I was going to write about the logistics of a dinner service and the detail that I do. Um, the main purpose of the book was for people to uh, start to think about, to get to know and get to appreciate uh, both, uh, you know, these workers who I think most people don't give a thought to. Uh, there are certain jobs I think people probably don't even know exist. Uh, but then also... Uh, just to appreciate the work, to appreciate the cost of employing all of these people. I mean, everything that you, everything on this plate that I write about in the book requires in most cases, not all, but in many cases, you know, dozens, dozens of people to tend it in the field, uh, to pick it, to box it, to drive it, um, to, to handle the business yep. of a farm. Uh, and, and that's every single ingredient. And I think not only do people not recognize that uh but they also uh it's a whole different subject they don't factor that into uh if they ever complain about the cost of a restaurant meal restaurant meals are actually by and large in this country um under priced they mm -hmm. they should cost more uh for the restaurant to have a comfortable financial existence and i don't mean lavish i just mean comfortable uh uh uh, but, you know, restaurateurs are so afraid of causing sticker shock uh, amongst their guests uh, that that they run up on very tight margins. And and a big reason for that is, A, 
uh, you know, people who who grow food in an ethical manner are spending more to do it. That costs the restaurants more. Um, they all believe in what they're doing, but they're terrified of charging what it really should cost uh, because very often they're in competition with restaurants who get all of their food from some national food company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're getting like everything they use off of maybe trucks from two different companies, not from farms that are driving distance from the restaurant. Man, you bring up a truth there because we just had a restaurant in Charlotte here. Their whole entire philosophy was from the field to the restaurant, uh, to the table. And and, and they, they didn't last very long. And and you just covered the every reason why they, they had to close their doors because of the cost. Oh, yeah. I mean, we all saw this, right? There was a big education at the beginning of the pandemic when restaurants had to close all of a sudden. And, and, and a lot of them, never reopened and and people were reading articles that explained you know a lot of these restaurants don't have enough money in the bank to cover payroll even for one week right. if they're not gener if they're not generating revenue and they're not doing that because they want to live on the edge like that they are doing that because they're afraid of charging what they should you know the rate of menu pricing uh, not costing behind the scenes but what we pay for a meal in a restaurant has has tracked well behind the rate of inflation uh, for the last probably two decades uh, in the United States. And and the reason for that is uh, the, the restaurateurs, the chefs are very afraid of alienating uh, their clientele and what it's resulted in. And it's for all understandable reasons. But I think the industry has created a bit of a monster for itself by kicking that pricing can down the road. Um, and, and this has all kinds of ripple effects. You know, this this affects whether a restaurant can offer health insurance mm. uh, to its people. Um, and very often, you know, people, oh, there's this misconception that owner operators, not that there aren't, uh, you know, unsavory ones out there who, 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 who are very selfish and don't care about their staff, but by and large, uh, the owner operator of a restaurant often doesn't know what they're going to make for the year until they hit the promised land of the holiday season and start booking parties and they're and they're full up every night of the week and they then that, that'll determine uh what kind of a distribution they can take at the end of the year uh, but very often the owner operator is the last person to know what their true salary is going to be for a calendar year uh, until they reach december 31st I'll tell you what, this, where you moved me in this book, The Dish, is is when, because I started thinking about the cost, because I'll go out and I'll buy a $900 or $1,000 smartphone, but I'll bitch and complain about a $25 or $30 steak. And and this book opened up my eyes going, do you know what went into the steak? Do you know what went into the spices to grow the spices, to gr to make sure that everything was beautiful on this plate? And and you, you this is such an eye-opening book. Thank you. I mean, it was for me, too. Uh, not that I didn't know... Uh, about all of these pieces in isolation. But, uh, you know, as I say at the very end of my introduction to the book, I say it was an adventure and mm -hmm. an education for, you know, for me. And I've been covering this industry for 25 years. I mean, I've spent thousands of hours observing in restaurant kitchens and, and interviewing chefs uh, and becoming friends with people I didn't have an occasion to interview before, but who I did in this book, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the workers who are on the front lines in the trenches, you know, doing the dirty work and the, and the real hard physical work. Uh, I spent a day in this book with a, a wonderful guy named Mark Hoffmeister, who is a delivery. Uh, I've stopped referring to him as a delivery truck driver. I now refer to him as a delivery professional. Yeah. Um, but he, what he does with this one person from just one farm goes through and what every truck driver you see uh, in, in a major American city 
just to park your truck for 10 minutes and make one delivery, uh, it is a, I say in the book, it could be a reality show. I mean, these there's it's a hostile environment. There is nowhere to park a truck in the city of Chicago. Uh, they're in New York. I will never again be upset when I, I live in New York uh, when I'm driving and some truck a truck is double parked yeah. <laughs> uh, because they have no choice. If they don't do that, they can't get the food to the restaurant. And you, if you just think about five different farms, because I profile five farms in this restaurant. Um, leaving, uh, having to go through that process, forget growing it and, and taking, you know, nurturing ingredients sometimes for a period of, you know, five or six months, like as with the tomatoes in the book, um, you know, uh, beyond that, just what it takes to get it to the restaurant. I mean, I would pay $10 just for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and then there's the, the, I mean, the restaurant side is one thing, but the farms, you know, I, I spoke to a guy named John Templin who has a farm in Michigan. And, you know, they deliver every Wednesday as most farms do in the Chicago area, at least. And no matter what the weather is on Tuesday, they uh, have to be out picking uh, from the field to yeah. fulfill the orders they have. Yeah. So, I mean, it, there could be a monsoon out there and they will be out there, um, you know, gathering what they need to do to make their deliveries. And John himself drives the truck. In addition to everything he does to run his farm, he makes those deliveries. Oh, man. So now being from Montana, we we had a challenge up there. It was always the farmers against the city slickers. And I mean, did, did you see that divided line when you were out there as well? It's because the city people do not understand the farmer's life and sometimes they don't respect the farmer's life. Uh, well, I think that's, I think that's uh, probably true. And and uh, you know, as a New Yorker, I've I've heard a lot of uh, comments that make me really angry. I mean, well before I wrote this book, uh, you know, I think there is a snobism very often yeah. in, in large cities uh, toward people who live in rural areas. Um, there is definitely a difference in culture. Absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, I, I I just make glancing reference to it, but you know, one of the places I went to uh, is in Forest, Illinois. It's it's just two hours south of the city. Uh, but, you know, if you were a, a if you are a urbanite and you were blindfolded and you were deposited there, I mean, you wouldn't know if you were in uh, in Texas. You wouldn't know if you were in you wouldn't know where you were. You could mm -hmm. be anywhere in rural America. Uh, you know, it's a town of 2000 people. Uh, so there's there's not a lot of stores. Um, uh, the politics. Uh, it, you know, generally speaking, are different. I do mention at one point, you know, I wrote this book in the summer of 21. And in Chicago, you saw masks yep. still, you know, you saw um, Biden Harris signs in a lot of shop windows. Uh, and then, you know, you drive to a lot of the places where these uh, farms were located and you don't you wouldn't even know there was a pandemic going on. Um, you know, any political yard signage or whatnot is for was for Trump. Um, and I, I don't I don't comment one way or the other on on the politics of it, but it's an interest to the your question. It is an interesting observation that people who lead very different lives, who have very different world outlooks, you know, they're doing business together. Yeah. And 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 these farmers and these chefs, I, I hasten to add, it is a very harmonious partnership. I mean, um, the restaurants love these farms. Uh, these farms love servicing these restaurants. Mm -hmm. There is a constant dialogue about what's coming next, you know, that the restaurants can cook with. Um, uh, one of the reasons uh, John Templin, who I just mentioned, who has butternut 
sustainable farms. One of the reasons, in addition to it's a cost savings, that he makes deliveries personally to uh, a lot of these restaurants. And, you know, John is someone who services some of the best restaurants in Chicago. For foodies who may be listening, uh, Grant Ackett's, who's the chef of Alinea Restaurant, yeah. which is a three-star Michelin restaurant, basically monopolizes uh, John's prime tomato supply in the summer. I mean, mm. his tomatoes are are literally famous among Chicago restaurants. Um, but John makes those deliveries personally so that he has a couple of minutes when he brings the stuff in the door just to talk to the chefs, oh, to see. get their feedback, yep. to see how they're using the food to get any requests they might have, to, to give them a heads up on, on uh, what he may be short on in the coming weeks or what maybe he tried to grow this season that's coming in good uh, so that they can start thinking about how to utilize it on the menus. Uh, uh, I know this is a long answer, but I just have to add, I, ob I observe and, and report a menu uh, ideation meeting. Each dish in that menu meeting uh, commences with one of the chefs in the meeting uh, going through uh, the inventory list for what's going to be available from each of the local farms they try wow. to support the next the, the following week, right? And that is how they plan their menus. Wow, dude, you got to come back to this show anytime in the future. And plus, I, I would love to either see this on the Travel Channel, the Food Channel, or even a podcast because you have got stories that are just mind blowing. I, I really appreciate that. Um, uh, I will say there is somebody in Los Angeles trying to make your dream come true uh, and mine because uh, I would love to be able to profile, uh, you know, a different restaurant and all of its teams oh. and all the farms that service it, um, uh, you know, across the across the country. Because uh, a chef friend of mine read the book uh, recently, and you know, he said to me, "I wish you could do this, you know, at, with every dish in the in in the world yeah. because." They all have this kind of a web extending out from them. Yep, yep. Well, you be brilliant today, okay, Andrew? <laughs> I appreciate all the kind words. Thank you very much, Arrow.